every time I hear that, I think, are those cosmic crickets, you know? It's like, I've never been in outer space. I don't know what it sounds like out there, if, if there are any sounds, but I think, man, they got crickets in outer space. Um, I, uh, I want to begin today by welcoming Pastor Ralph Thingia. Raphael is joining us from a hospital room uh, where he is being cared for under the prayers of our people for this past week. But once again, we're praying for you, Pastor, and asking God to touch you in a special way. I got to visit with him yesterday, and he said that he had his Nikes, you know, with him, the Nike, remember that, Overcomer? I got to tell you this, this last week, Lisa took me to the shoe store and got me a pair of Nikes so that I am an understated Overcomer today. Um, responsibly spent money, though. You know, I'm not one of those high-dollar tennis sneaker guys. Uh, but thank you, Ralph, for doing the hashtag Nike and reminding me that it is God's power and strength that helps us to live into our overcomer status. And then he also this morning texted me, he just said, you know what? Nothing is too hard for Abba. Now, Abba is a New Testament word that means Papa, Daddy. It's a very term, a term of endearment with God. So I'd like for you to repeat with me today. We remember nothing is too hard for God, but let's say nothing is too hard for Abba. Can we do it together? Wherever you're joining us right now, let's just take a breath and speak it so as to be heard. Nothing is too hard for Abba, our Heavenly Father. So Lord, now speak as your servants are listening. I, uh, I've never been in the live-action throne room of a human monarch, you know, one that was really happening, um, seen them from time past, museum-type stuff, but I've never been in a live-action throne room of an earthly monarch, king or queen. Perhaps you have. Um, the closest in my experience to being anything like that was a room full of power, wasn't a throne room. It was actually a room at the National Prayer Breakfast the, that uh, occurs in Washington, D.C. It was the year 2002 that I want to tell you about, following the 9-11 attacks on our country. And I was invited by Mr. George Kettle, who was attending Christ's journey at the time. He's with the Lord now. Um, Mr. Kettle's table was maybe 30 yards, 20 to 30 yards uh, from the head table where President and Mrs. Bush were seated with their guests of honor. And there in the Washington Hilton that day, that room was like a who's who of, uh, of power, such as I had never been a part of before. There were national leaders there from government, from business, from military, ministry, journalists. There were international leaders, diplomats, ambassadors from different countries all around the world. There were Republicans and Democrats, both sides of the aisle, women and men, so many different ethnicities and races, religions and faith backgrounds, all gathered there today, people that I'd only seen on TV and on the news. And there I was in the midst of them. And there was even this little meet and greet time. That happened where we were supposed to get up and, you know, shake hands. And I remember <laughs> feeling so surreal that day, right after I had shaken the hand of the United States Department of Defense Secretary Donald Rumsfeld, and next, Senator Hillary Clinton. And I remember thinking, what just happened? It was like, what? What was this? Mr. Kettle and I were seated with Charles Colson at a table where he was. And uh, of course, President Bush spoke that day, as did 
Admiral Clark, Chief of Naval Operations, Condoleezza Rice, and Todd Beamer, I mean Lisa Beamer, whose husband Todd had gone down in Flight 93. We heard from a fireman, from a policeman from New York City. It was so impressive. And one of the most amazing uh, things of all is that everyone there in the National Prayer Breakfast had come to gather under the name of Jesus. It wasn't a throne room, but it was a place of power where they had gathered in the name of Jesus. Um, You know, the United Kingdom does have a throne room, Buckingham Palace, where Queen Victoria reigned as the uh, British Empire was established and then extended literally across the entire world, becoming the largest empire in history. The largest human empire, 24% of this planet's total land area and 23% of global population at its peak, the throne room. But in light of the throne room that we are entering today, all throne rooms and rooms of power pale to insignificance. Parts of the description that you're about to hear in Revelation 4 and 5 are going to sound spectacular, like, whoa. Other parts are just going to sound bizarre, like, what? What? But there are great surprises here that are packed, and we want to receive the blessing of every one of them. And so as the promise in chapter 1 says, that to those who read it, who hear it, and then who take it to heart, there is blessing to be had. So if you would like that blessing, may I invite you to stand wherever you are, this campus, all campuses, and then right where you're joining us, wherever you are online, that we would stand together as I lead us in giving our attention to the word from God that John received in a vision for us. After this, I looked, and before me was a door standing open in heaven. And, and the voice I heard first heard speaking to me was like a trumpet. Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. The one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby. A rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. And there surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones. And seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and they had crowns of gold on their head. And from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, there were seven lamps blazing These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. And in the center around the throne were four living creatures. And they were covered with eyes in front and behind. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. 
The third had the face like a man. And the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who is, who was, is, and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory, honor, power, For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and then sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy? Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside. And I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed and he is able to open the scrolls and its seals. And then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders, and the lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, seven eyes, which are the spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne, and when he did, when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb and Each one had a harp and were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. And they will reign on earth. And then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and then the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive 
power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is within them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Amen. And then the elders, they fell down and worshiped. Please be seated. Man, is that wild? Is that crazy? What is he trying to say? I want to say welcome to the incredible, unspeakable throne room of God. Now remember, this language is highly stylized and symbolic. It is written in apocalyptic fashion, which means that the truth that it is communicating is deeper and greater and stronger than material fact or than literal physicality. That's what symbol means here. We're, these are images that are crammed full of spiritual reality and truth and fascinating us, yes, but they are stretching our imaginations beyond our material limitations. What does it mean? Well, I'm excited to share with you what I'm learning, but let's remember that we've got to approach this with humility and with openness to God's insight, inviting his Holy Spirit to be our teacher even as we portray and seek to understand what John wrote down from the vision that day. Because he promised us there is blessing to be had here. And that's what we're pursuing here. That we're hearing it, we're reading it, and we're taking it to heart so that the blessing of it will not be lost on us, but we will be able to step into it fully, more fully than we have before. So, and that's his promise. That to everybody who reads, hears, and takes this message to heart, the blessing will find us. So chapter 4 begins the second vision that John has as he's invited into a door that is open into heaven. Last week, the message was for churches that were real churches in real time but also representative of all churches for all, all time with lessons of truth from Jesus in his halftime talk on overcoming. This week, we are being transported with John into the realm of the cosmic apocalypse. And we're being invited, it's a revealing, apocalypse means a revealing, a revealing of the goings-on in the throne room of God what, and what the future will next hold. That's what he tells us. Revelation 4 and 5 have been called the most wonderful chapters in the Bible. Why? Well, remember, this is highly symbolic language. That doesn't mean the truth isn't real. It means that we're being invited to engage in truth that are beyond our ordinary perceptions, our ordinary reality, our everyday experience. We're going behind the scenes in order to understand what's about to take place and then how it all fits together in God's plan and then from God's perspective. The applications we're to take from it. So the book of Revelation, let's just do a quick brief overview, unfolds in sequences of sevens. Seven churches. Next week, we'll see the seven seals to be opened, the seven churches that are visited, the seven seals to be opened, the seven trumpets that will be blown, and then the seven bowls 
that will be poured out in the cosmic battle of things yet to be. But before all the what of what's coming is unfolded, we're introduced to the who behind it all. The one who's on the throne in the throne room. The Lord God Almighty himself, sovereign God enthroned in eternal majesty and power. So one of the initial lessons for me and for you, I think for all of us, for those in the first century as well as the 21st, is this. The course of human history is not finally determined by evil political powers, but by God enthroned and active as it unfolds. I think that's one of the ones we're supposed to hold on to. And the person on the throne, verse 3, has the appearance of Jasper. That's a kind of translucence that I take to symbolize God's holiness. We sang about his holiness a moment ago. And then ruby or carnelian. And that's a fiery red that one theologian that I've read that I uh, trust a lot said reflects God's righteous wrath. And then the emerald rainbow encircling the throne is a reminder of God's covenant from Genesis chapter 9 that he would never again destroy the earth with water. So we see some of the tensions, the divine tensions at work. God is holy, God is just, but God is patient, and God is present in history ever before him. Around the throne there were 24 other thrones. 24 elders dressed in white, wearing crowns of gold. Some see here symbols of the royal priesthood, the full people of God who have responded to his calling out through history. 24 would then come from a combination of the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles. And and others think that this might be a class of heavenly being that we haven't experienced with sight yet. High-ranking angels. But the number 12 is a number of completion. So I'm taking this to symbolize the completion of God's people redeemed from time and now enthroned with him in eternity. Seven lamps blazing. He said, represent the seven spirits of God. Remember, this is not a number. You're thinking, well, I thought there was a trinity. No, this is symbolic number. The number seven is a symbol of perfection. So John is trying to say the perfect spirit of God is at work in the presence of the one who is on the throne and uh, and in the world around him and then the sea of glass. To Israel, the sea always represented chaos, but here at the feet of God, that sea is calm. You know, he can do the same with your chaos. (laughs) You bring it to the feet of God and watch it go calm. The seas still know his name. But it's like crystal, which is like a reflecting pool telling us that before the sight of God, nothing is hidden. Everything is revealed. He then, verse 7, he sees four living creatures. These are majestic at the same time that they're so bizarre. Each one has a different face, all of them representing all of creation. The creative activity of the life-giving God. In the wild of a lion, the domestic strength of an ox, the intelligence of a human, and the swift flight of an eagle. And the weird thing is that all of these representations of the creative life of God have eyes all around them and six wings. They have six wings. What does that mean? Well, they're able to move in any direction at will from wherever they are. Every direction 
at will and covered with eyes, portraying the omniscience of God. There's nothing he doesn't see. And the omnipresence of God, there's nowhere he is not. And they're the ones leading the worship of God. And so chapter 4 closes with them leading two songs of praise, powerful hymns of praise, declaring, one declaring God's holiness as the only being self-existent for all time, ever pulsing with eternal life, God's essence. And then holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, is, and is to come. There is never, has never been a time when God was not alive by his own self-existent life. That's what, that's trying to communicate the holiness of omnipotent God. And then second, the second song declares the worth and value of God as our creator from whom all things have their being. It's this inspiring, awe-inspiring scene of spontaneous worship of God's life and then God's power over all. And then John sees at God's right hand, the hand of favor and the hand of power, symbolic, remember, a scroll full of writing, front and back. It's just covered. There's no room for any more words on it. They're all there. But it's sealed with seven seals. What's in that scroll? Well, we learn later, but we see it now, the pronouncement of God's evaluation of the world. With all of that sight and all of that presence and all of that power and all of that holiness, nothing is outside of his sight, and we're now going to see it unveiled. It's a scroll containing the remaining chapters of Revelation, an evaluation of the world and the future before us. What's in store for human history? It's a scroll containing God's defining of the moral reality that gives our lives meaning. You know, have you ever wondered, um, and, and then identifies for us what makes life matter and gives us purpose and, um, and delivers us from futility. Have you ever wondered what the meaning of life is? I mean, why are we here? Where did we come from? Where's it all going? And the scroll that contains the responses to those questions is perfectly sealed, seven times tight. Perfection again, you know? How do we get in to that understanding? Who can open it? It's like the mystery is hidden, and no one from above or below or around, no one on earth can open the seal. And so John weeps, says, just as our souls grieve, over the absence of real answers in life or over the quality of leadership that can give us meaning and purpose and keep us going in human history and human life. But then an elder, one of the 24, we're not told who, calls John out and says, look, the Lion of Judah has triumphed. And the next thing we see when you turn to look for the Lion is a lamb slaughtered. Just like it had been slain. And standing right there on the throne of God. And the lamb is also strange. He's got seven horns 
and seven eyes. And remember, this is symbolic. In this literature, horns represent power, like the horn of a bull or the horn that offers protection, defense, strength. The horn represents power, and eyes represent sight. So what are we seeing? This lamb is perfect, seven, perfect in power and in perception. The sight of the perfect spirit of God, these seven spirits of God, revealing God's presence through the lamb and covering the whole earth. And so he takes the scroll. And then when he takes it, this cascade of worship and praise just erupts first from the creatures around the throne, then the elders around the throne, and then those that were holding the prayers of God's people. You ever wonder what happens to your prayers? They're right there before the throne of God, participating in the worship on the other side. And then then there's these angels. There's, There's too many to count, and they're all joining in in this great worship expression of honor. And finally, every creature from every place in the cosmos is singing praise and worship to God and the Lamb, creator, redeemer, definer of value, and ultimate sovereign. So chapter 5 closes with three more songs of worship. Kind of makes me wonder if that's why we sing five songs, you know, and sometimes more, sometimes less. But they had five songs of worship in this expression. And there's the end of the vision. Now, can I just try to run to an intersection here and say, so what? (laughs) What does that mean to us? What, What do we do with that? And my observation is this, that secular culture struggles a lot with the contradiction between accountability, true accountability, and don't judge me, bro. Those are active struggles that you observe and maybe experience in secular culture. On one hand, we see cries out for growing cries for justice and hold people accountable, hold groups responsible for violations. And then at the same time, on the other hand, we hear people saying, who are you to judge me? I mean, why does your different view of a violation have more authority than my view? Who made you the boss of me? And behind those questions on both sides of that equation is this tacit recognition of moral reality. In life. And there's also the admission that human judgments, even at our best, are limited, are flawed, are skewed, they're incomplete. So the question is well made who can be trusted to judge accurately? That's, does anybody really have the authority, the substance, the track record? of proven credibility to make sense out of the chaos of human history, to cull through it and then sift all the circumstances and judge honestly the difference between wheat and chaff. That's what's going on in this this heavenly question, to bring true value into the light and then discard everything that is vain and empty and offer quality moral judgment In a moral universe, who is best qualified to do that? 
to judge reality? That's the question being asked here. Who is worthy to open the scroll and roll out the justice? And the answer in the vision is this. There's one. There's only one, the lion who is the lamb. The Messiah from David's root through Judah, who is also the suffering servant of Isaiah's prophecy of the lamb slain. So human history, in spite of all of our technical advances, testifies that spiritually, morally, socially, we're confused, we're in chaos, we're in need, and the facts are that we have all gone astray. This is what the prophet says. And each one of us have turned to our own way, and yet the Lord has laid on one the iniquity of us all the Passover lamb of God, whose blood covers all of our sins in some mysterious, magnificent, divine economy where he was punished for our transgression. And so John the Baptist, when Jesus rises on the scene, sees him walking by, he says, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the sins of Bill's world, of your world. Who, in all reality, is qualified to open the seals of the scroll and then let God's true justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream? God will judge human crime, injustice, sin, culture, in attitude and in action, but the one that is bringing the justice is also the one who bore all of our sin and all of its punishment in himself and then conquered death and evil. That's why he says, look, the Lion of Judah has triumphed. The lamb didn't stay slain. And the lion as the lamb bearing the marks of slaughter and the is the one who answers that question, and the scroll is his to unroll. Jesus Christ, the death and rising again for the redemption of the world, qualifies him to roll out the judgment to come. And the whole of human history finds its meaning in the convergence point of the slain and risen Jesus Christ. So if you've ever wondered, who has the right to tell me what's right? This is the vision's answer from the revelation of John. There's only one. One who is fierce as a lion, tender as a lamb, and who in his first coming was full of saving grace to cover all of our sins for all time and every place. But in his second coming, he will be full of justice and righteousness, and every hardness of heart and every deadness of spirit will be exposed in his holy presence. Evil and sin will be judged. Wrongs will be set right. But the processes that, in, that are in motion before he comes will roll out of the seven seals, which we're going to get to our next time together. Then they roll out in the seven seals. They grow louder as the trumpets are blown. And then as they, they peak as the bulls are finally poured out. 
The message from there for us today is simply this. The last days are going to be challenging. The last days are going to be hard. But victory is secure when you're covered by the blood of the Lamb. When you're clothed in the white of his righteousness and crowned by the gift of his grace. He's like Noah's Ark. And when the storms come, the safest place to be is in that ark who can carry you safely through and deliver you on the other side of the storm. So the most appropriate question I could ask you is this. Are you in the ark? Have you trusted Christ to forgive your sins and find the center on the throne of your life? Listening to his voice, following his lead, not asking you to be religious. I'm asking you to walk in faith and a relationship of love with the God who made you, who loves you, who became one of us so that he might perfectly meet every expectation of God's holiness and then offer himself on our behalf so that we're totally covered in him whose spirit by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead can now come alive in you and bring you peace and power for the days ahead. So I want to say, so if you're not in the ark, Get in the ark, because that's the safe place to be, come what may. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, we thank you for this magnificent word of vision from your apostle John. And I pray that you would grant people ears to hear what your spirit is saying and then get my words out of the way where I have fumbled them and stumbled through them. And, and, and yet, Lord, I want to do my best to bring what you've been giving me, so I pray that you will help us together to find our place at your feet. We are so grateful for what you have done for us in Christ, and we welcome your spirit to do his work within us of cleansing and purging and reconnecting and deepening and strengthening. Especially today, we pray for those that are struggling and fighting temptation and overcoming obstacles. May they be buoyed up once again knowing that they are safe in you. And now for those who are aware that <laughs> I don't know if I'm in the ark, well then here's a prayer that will take you up the entry ramp and inside. Lord Jesus, I believe you came, lived and died for me. That in your death, somehow my sins are covered that you have paid the penalty on my part and I receive that forgive my sins and when you rose from the dead that your life is now available to come alive in my life so I welcome you to bring your spirit into me that I might know you and follow you thank you for the gift of salvation I trust you and now I ask you to lead me as I turn from my way and learn to go your way and find safety in you as my Savior and Lord. Now, if you just prayed that prayer with me and would let me ask God's blessing upon your next steps of faith, I'm going to invite you to raise your hand wherever you're seated and just keep it up for a moment. And online, please click, allow us to join you in prayer. Yes, in the back of the room on my left, on my right, here in the back center, God bless you. Right on the aisle, God bless you. And wherever you're joining us today, as you've likewise said, I, I want in that ark and I've heard Jesus' voice and I'm trusting him now. 
Lord, for every person who by lifted hand is saying, my heart is open and I want to be ready and that you've done everything to cover me, I pray that they would sense your peace and power even now and that you would open their eyes a little wider to the glory of your truth and the freedom that your grace has brought us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.